You're listening to the Queer Yid Podcast, where we share the stories of LGBTQ Jews from religious backgrounds. My name is Hannah Peterson, and today I'm talking with Dina Klein, a modern Orthodox Jew and out and proud lesbian who lives in Brooklyn together with her wife and son. From Long Island through Yeshiva University, all the way down to Chabad of the Bowery, Dina's story is about the profound power of a family's love and how one thoughtful question from an empathetic rabbi can change a life. No content warning this time around, but you might want to bring some tissues. This one's a real heart warmer. Without further ado, I'd like you to meet Dina. Dina, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Um, to begin with, can you tell me a little bit about the kind of community that you grew up in? Sure. I grew up in Cedarhurst, New York, which is one of the five towns in Long Island. It is very modern Orthodox. Um, I would say aligned with the Yeshiva University ideology. Um, obviously, there's a wide spectrum of, of the type of people who live in the five towns. But I would say there was like a co-ed school and there was a school with mixed classes and a school that was separate. And I went to Hebrew Academy of Long Beach Halb, which was, you know, same boys and girls in the same school, different classes. Um, and was your family like particularly involved in the community while you were growing up? Definitely. My, both my parents were and are lay leaders of the community that I grew up in. Um, and Jewish communal life was very much a part of my upbringing on a lay level, which is, and because of that, I always, from when I was very young, had a desire for that to be my professional career because I was inspired of, um, by being so close to it through the lens of my parents and all this, all the types of organizations that they were involved in. And that ranged from, our elementary school, our high school, our college, um, and organizations that service all different types of Jews. Um, so definitely like a, a, something that I'm grateful to my parents for, for having that experience and set me on the path for my professional career for the last 10 years. What do you do for a living? Um, I have a for the last 10 years, I worked in the Jewish nonprofit world, um, but I just pivoted. I was laid off due to COVID. I was working for Hill International in the on the fundraising team, specifically um, planning special events and special events disappeared. Um, and, and my job did with it along with 20% of the organization. And, and because wow. I've, as much as I love uh, the Jewish nonprofit community, and the experiences that I've had there. And, and I love contributing to the to that community. Um, pivoting away from it is something that's always been on my mind. So I thought this would be a good opportunity. And I just started something else in the uh, health startup world two weeks ago. Wow, well, I hope it goes well for you. Thank um, you so much. So far, so good. Okay, so I'm starting to get a picture of like really heavy Jewish involvement. Um, throughout your formative years. Um, beyond the like social and like the familial part of that, like what, what stood out to you growing up as something that was meaningful or that you enjoyed? Uh, that's a great question. I would say what stood out to me is the informal experiences. I was never a school person, so it wasn't so much about the knowledge or the institutional pieces as much as it was 
the feeling aspects and the experiences that I've had. Um, I went to the same sleepaway camp for 14 years. So that played a huge part in my development. And that's what stood out to me and is like some, some of my life's best memories come from my sleepaway camp experience. And just, I think, between the organizations that I was around and the type of family that I grew up in, just understanding the value of being a Jew, loving being Jewish, and that coming with minimal strings attached in a, in a burdening way. <laughs> so at what point does your queer journey begin? My queer journey begins when I graduated Yeshiva University. There was um, a program at the time called the Presidential Fellowship, okay, which was for the premier graduates to have an opportunity to work with one of the top administrators in the university and have experience um, in Jewish communal life. So like I said, because that was you know, the career that I was aspiring towards and on the path towards was the perfect opportunity for me. And I scored the fellowship, I was so excited and I was placed in the Office of Student Affairs and I worked very closely with the student president and working with her kind of blew my mind in the sense she wasn't like the people that I had met before, that I had grew up around my whole life. Like my friends, my community had all been pretty, had all been pretty consistent and similar. And she was very different. And what I was learning from her was very different. And over the course of, you know, several months, I was like, something really, really, really deep developed and that ultimately turned physical like a few months in. Okay, so before we get there though, let's, let me backtrack for a minute. You said that she was different. What do you mean by, what do you mean by that? Uh, it's, good, it's hard to answer. Um, I would say the way that she was different is in the way, in her, beliefs in her like politics in her interests like I feel like growing up I didn't feel it when I was in the moment but being out of it and like having my first most of my friends had gotten married like when I was in college so mm -hmm. when I did this fellowship my friends had already started on their you know married lives and my friends and like the way that we all had lived together in sleepaway camp and then seminary and then college, that was like the first time it all changed. And I was, you know, me meeting new friends and meeting new people. And she just kind of opened my eyes to the way that she sees the world. She had just finished learning at Hadar, which is an egalitarian yeshiva and like the concept of egalitarianism, which, I, and I don't identify as egalitarian now, but just that people think differently opened my eyes. I'd never been part of a community or been part of an experience where people think differently. Uh huh. Politically, so, Jewishly. So would it be fair to say that like she was more liberal than the kind of community that you oh, grew yeah. up around? Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. If we want to just like cut to the chase, she was the first liberal person <laughs> that I ever met. <laughs> well, I just. Set it, set to it translate like belief into <laughs> um how that reads, absolutely yeah uh-huh okay and you meet her and this is the first time that you would you say it was like attraction or falling in love like how would you describe what happened in that relationship so i would say like initially it didn't stand out as anything significant because i've always been the type of person that had like 
one best girlfriend. Like there was always just that one person and not so like other people in my life didn't have that. Um, and now understanding like my identity more that like that makes more sense and aligns with, you know, identifying as a lesbian, not to say that I had romantic feelings for every single one of those people, but certainly now I could say, aha, that's what those feelings were or whatnot. So when I, our relationship first started, she was just that person of the time, but, and slowly, but surely I found myself wanting to spend all my time with her. And then I remember one night where I like had like a a feeling inside of me of wanting to touch her. And for so long, like before, I thought it was just her like and and this is just an evolution of the way that I've been with that one friend of the month but then when I met my now wife who was like a total total stranger to me at the time and felt that way too I was like oh shoot that's that I'm a lesbian I have to confront this okay so through this relationship you begin to realize that you're a lesbian or is that something that came after I had so much fear about identifying as that. And it took me years to come out and say that Mm -hmm. Um, the way that I define this relationship for myself was like, I'm exploring. I I love my best friend. I was still dating guys at the time. Like there was no point in which I was exclusively with her and not interested in marrying a man. Like my whole entire time with her, I was, Mm -hmm. I, I, part of like, I mentally, I thought I would end up with a man. And this was just an experience that I was having. Mm -hmm. Um, Got it. So So you sort of like coordinated off as like, this is experimentation or whatever, but it didn't, it didn't cross your mind that maybe this was- Mm-hmm. It didn't cross my mind, um, but like as time passed and the relationship became deeper and deeper and I I started becoming very nervous because I had been dating at that point for like four or five years and I was bored on all the dates and was wanted to go home and couldn't emotionally connect. And I was like, what is it that's different about her? than it is with all these other guys that I've dated. And I had been in six month relationships and three month relationships and could just never get past like the casual conversation stage. So I was starting internally to feel very nervous about what this meant compared to those relationships. Right, the juxtaposition of the two. Uh The juxtaposition, but I was for so long just saying I haven't met that man yet. Like this will exist in a man. Right. Or at least I was telling myself that, but I had a lot of anxiety at the time. Did you speak to anybody about that anxiety that you were having? Or I assume, I assume that like throughout the shidduch process, you were probably talking to people about like your experiences dating. Um, Did that ever, did the juxtaposition between like this really intense friendship, relationship, whatever you were calling it, and your dating life ever come up? No, I couldn't say it out loud to anybody. Like I can think of two examples off the top of my mind. The first being I had dated my, the first guy that I dated out of seminary was someone who I, uh, like a guy who I had been friends with for a long time. And just like the natural progression was that we would date as soon as we were both ready, which we did. And we had been, we had all, we had all the same interests, sports, Jewish music, 
Torah, whatever it was. And I was talking to someone who specializes in healthy relationships. And she said to me, and I, I just, the relationship was at a standstill. It had been six months, like nothing progressed. My parents were asking what was going on. And this woman said to me, um, picture yourself in a movie theater and the lights are off. Like, do you want to touch him? I was like, no, not at all. And said, okay, that could be a sign that this is not the right relationship. But the, the girl had not been in the picture at the time. But when I was with her, um, my anxiety was coming out in a lot of different ways. And I was just being very combative with my parents at the time. And they suggested therapy, not just how my, old were my you mom, at that point? My first year after college was 2010. I was born in 1988. I'm horrible at math. <laughs> 19, 20, 22. 22. 22. Okay. And they were like, they, my mom has always been like very intuitive about me and like where I'm at. And she goes, why don't you speak to someone? And I had, she had done all the research and sent me, she had no idea about this girl and like what was going on. I was just like, there was clearly a shift in my behavior. And I was, I went to see this from therapist. I couldn't even tell her. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, why? This is such a waste of time. If like, there's this huge thing that's like suffocating me and weighing me down. And I can't even say it out loud to my therapist. This is a waste of both of our times. And I eventually stopped going, I, but I, could, I was so afraid to even tell her. Could you I identify that make it what real. you were afraid of? Like, were you in your mind afraid that like, oh, this might make me gay? Or yeah. did you not have language for that even? Uh, no, I was afraid of judgment from her. Okay. I was afraid that saying it out loud would make it real. I was afraid that she would diagnose me as gay. Like I, I had so, I had afraid, I, it was my first time in therapy. I was afraid she would tell my parents. Like I had so many fears. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, do you remember when you first encountered the concept of homosexuality or queer people? Yeah, I remember the first time that I heard that someone had come out and I thought it was like the craziest thing in the entire world. Like, oh my God, what does that mean for them? That's so crazy. What does that mean for the people in their lives? And then it just pop, kept popping up throughout my life. I would, That first time I was probably like a senior high school and then um like an someone a mentor of mine's brother had come out and I remember and that meant I spent that year in Israel with that mentor of mine and I remember saying out loud like that's so gay and she's like hey my brother's gay I wanted to curl up in a ball and cry like and I and I when I saw her like I it, it destroyed me that I had done that like weighed very 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 heavily right. on me and then throughout my time in college, people very in like, not in a large amounts, but I had heard people come out like, you know, over my time in college and that experience of hearing people culminated with the panel at YU. And there was just so much discourse about it. And if you graduated in 2010, the panel was 2009, right? Yeah. Okay. So that was really like right before um, this happens. Yeah. Did you attend? So I, 
I did not attend. I had tickets to a Broadway show with my grandma that night, um, but it was all anyone could talk about for like months after at, at, in my, at my family Shabbos table in the cafeteria with my best friends on dates. Like it was just the topic for months. And I remember speak, I was not against it at all. And my dad, like I, this stuck with me so deeply. He was like, cause I, I always, I always had friends over for Shabbos like who lived out of town like I love bringing people to my house and I remember having friends over and we were like dad what do you think about it and he said like from a Kavod Habrio standpoint like from a interpersonal standpoint it's monumental it's huge that we understand that people are suffering and we need to be more compassionate and and meet their needs and the way the panel was presented was as like a mental health crisis um, but I, I did go to like the Rabbi Torsky forum at Stern who compared homosexuality to like the worst possible offenses that you could do. And I just, and I had friends who aligned with him and I was so uncomfortable by that and, and really struggled with that, not in the context of my own experience, but it, it never sat well with me. Mm -hmm. So all of this is going on in the background, the first time that you go to therapy and you have this question sitting in your head or this anxiety about like, maybe I am a lesbian. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, again, I wouldn't even, like, I couldn't even think, I didn't even think that in my head, maybe I'm a lesbian. I'm like, this is a relationship. Um, this relationship like is, means the world to me. Is it toxic for my future? I don't know. And I just couldn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about like the fights that I was having with my parents were, which were meant absolute nothing. They were just like a response to the anxiety that I was feeling. Yeah. Do you think that your therapist picked up on it at all? I don't know how she could have, because I literally didn't even mention this friendship. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, I hate my parents. They're so annoying. They're obsessed with dating and obsessed with me getting married. And this is why we fight all the time and my weight and my appearance. Like I was always um, a tomboy growing up. I, I'm, I was like always getting dirty. Don't necessarily care so much about the way that I look at, like my weight has fluctuated my whole life. And that was just like a point of tension, like growing up always. And I thought this was like the latest manifestation of that. Uh-huh. Um, okay. So like you're dealing with this inside. Every time you go to therapy, you're completely sidestepping the issue. When do things start to shift? Um, when things start to shift, I mean, that was like one relationship we had, like she had moved out of the state and she was like, let's have an open relationship. Um, really, because she just wanted to move on for me and didn't want to tell me. And I thought that would be perfect for me. What an opportunity because I can date girls and guys and see like what the deal is. Were you uh, calling what you had a relationship? Just with her. Okay. Just with her. At that point, we had called it a relationship. Okay. Um, so we were in this open relationship. I had like dated a couple girls that I met on an app. Like that meant absolutely. I had a horrible time. I was bugging out. I'm like, why am I trying to seek out a woman? Like why? And I like, why am I doing this to myself? And then when I dated guys, there was just like zero connection whatsoever. Um, and then I 
develop feelings for another friend of mine. And I just kept telling myself like, this is a friend thing. This is a friend thing. Like I have deep relationships with friends and I had told, and I had convinced this friend like all summer that we should be in a relationship. And then I completely like before Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur came that year, I was like, stop, like push the brakes. Like I need to reset my life. I'm going to end up with a man. I know I just convinced you all summer that we should be in a relationship, but like I must date men and I must give this a real try. And if I'm giving it a real try, I cannot be in a relationship with any woman. And that, that is I had gone up. a really tremendous amount of cognitive dissonance to be living under. Um, yeah. The the friend who you were convincing that you needed to be in a relationship with, like, was she talking about being queer or? Not really. There was sort of this like underground YU alum community where people were exploring that we were like both a part of, and there was like never language for it. It was just like, we, it there, she wasn't exploring. I wasn't exploring. We just had really, really, deep feelings for each other and the community of friends that we were in that made perfect sense. Um, and I had been dating guys. It was going horribly. I was in, I was really, really depressed and in a really bad place. And one night my friend who's a guy was coming out to me and he was telling me how liberated he felt and how amazing he feels and how much healthier he feels. And while he's telling me this, I get a text from a friend of mine who says like, Hey, um, I'm so sorry if this is inappropriate, like, please disregard if it is, but I have a great girl to set you up with. And I had never even come out to this friend before. I knew that people were talking about me. Like I knew that my relationship with this initial person had been like a topic of conversation because it was juicy and new and messy. And just like, I knew my name was like out there in the closeted YU group of people. So it wasn't like a shock that she texted me. It was just like reaffirming that I was a topic of people's conversations, which also made me deeply uncomfortable. Right. But um, I like was listening to my friends. I got this text and I was, I was in a really bad place in life. And I was like, YOLO, like go for it. And I, in a spur of the moment, agreed to go on this date with a girl. It was a setup by like a friend of mine. And when I, I when I went on a date with this girl, I like she blew my mind like my I want I didn't want it to end I was so attracted to her I was soaking up everything she said I had the best time with her and after that date and I was like this is what my friends felt like when they were shit dating and, and would come back to their dorm rooms in Stern and like be all excited and giggly about someone that I never felt that like this is what they feel like I get it I'm part of it and um, she didn't want to go out on a second date. Um, I was crushed, but like once that, that one date was like, shoot, I'm a lesbian. Like I have to move on with my life and process this and understand what it means and, and move forward in this. And like all my hopes and dreams were crushed in that moment. And in those months, and those were like the darkest few months of my life. Okay. I want to dig in to yeah. period of time. But before we do, I, looking back on it now, what do you think it was about specifically that like date that you were set up on that created a context where you could say like, oh, okay, I think I'm a lesbian. 
because she was somewhat like the first two, I'd only been with two women prior to that who were like my best friends before they were more intimate than that. And this person was someone who I had never seen, never met, never heard of. Like she was a stranger, which is like essentially what the shit of dating system is. So I was like, I never fell for, like I was never attracted physically or emotionally to any man before. And like, now here I am in my, my mind is alone. And like, Got it. this is someone who I, who just came out of left field. Got it. So this was the, you couldn't have that voice in your head saying like, this is just a really intense friendship because it wasn't, exactly. it was someone you had never met before. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Um, so what happens next? So she doesn't want to go out with me again. I tell all my friends for months that I'm going to marry her and she's going to be my wife. They're like, you're, you have problems. Like you need help. But, um, it's, I'm not kidding, but all kidding aside, like the, the hard, the, the hard part of those months was trying to understand like what my life would look like mourning the loss of like my hopes and dreams which I thought would be like a close relationship with my family a career in the Jewish nonprofit world um one of the events that I went I was inter I was in social work school at the time getting a master's degree and I was interviewing interning at um the Hunter College Hillel and I went to the Jewish queer youth perm party that year. I went as Kanye West, who was like a hero of mine at the time, not anymore, <laughs> but Kanye, like on that album, Jesus wore a full ski mask. So I was like, I'm going to be Kanye. I'm going to wear the mask. Um, no one will see me. No one will know who I am. I took off the mask for one second to like breathe. Um, and I saw someone from Hunter Hill, like a student. And I was so embarrassed I wasn't out to anyone at Hunter Hill. I wasn't out to anyone, period. I thought she would like tell everyone in the Hillel. And like in that moment, I was like, I'm done. I'm not working in Jewish nonprofit anymore. Like I want my job and my world to be like totally separate. I want to show up at nine, leave at five and like to, for it to have nothing to do with my personal life. But mm -hmm. I panicked that she had seen me and like what that meant. That was just one instance of like a hard instance in those months but um your friends that you were telling like you're gonna marry this chick though like is that not a kind of coming out so though yeah totally is um I had for like from the time that I had broken up with the first girl that I had been in a relationship with to this moment there was like a group of seven friends who knew what was going on like I was I was really suffering. It was like my first love, my first breakup, cut out, like really, 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 really hard stuff that nobody in my world knew about, like, except for them. So they were the ones that I was like joking about it with and knew that I had other experiences with women. And like th that I had like my seven people, but after my first date with this girl where I'm like, wow, I'm a lesbian. Like one, I'm like, you have to take a step forward. Like you have to make forward progress. So, um, I told my brother, like, I was like, I, I need to tell someone to like, make it real. Um, like someone who doesn't know that's not in like my queer circle of like seven YU rebels. Um, so I was like, I'm going to tell my brother and sister-in-law. Um, and I told them, and I thought that that would like, and again, I like had, was like struggling with my family for a little bit. 
um, just because I had all this anxiety and just like was distancing myself because I thought that they would eventually distance like for me. So I was kind of, I felt like, let me step away instead of them stepping away. Um, and I thought that by telling this brother and sister-in-law, like that would, I would have a person in my family. Like it would be more, it would be more comfortable to be around my family if somebody knew. Mm-hmm. But it actually made things like so much worse with the rest of my family because it created like such a divide, like they know they don't. And I felt so much farther away from the rest of my family. But to me, How telling did your them brother like, and sister-in-law take it. I don't, they weren't shocked. Like I, again, people had been talking about me, so like I didn't blow their minds, um, but they were extremely loving and supportive. Um, they reiterated that like it, it, it had zero bearing on our relationship. Like it, our, my relationship with all my family members is unconditional. And I was um, so, so relieved that they knew. Um, I'm sure they had, I'm, I know they had their own process of like coming to terms with it and understanding it and, and all that. Um, but like, I told them in a bagel, like the most popular bagel store in the five towns, like, because I was afraid of their reaction. So I thought if I told them in a bagel store that like their reaction would have to be controlled. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. But it just, it just made it, it just created more distance between people that didn't know, because again, like about juxtaposition, like there was them and there was everyone else. Mm-hmm. So all uh, of this is happening at the same time. You've sort of come out to one part of your family. You're really struggling with the other part of your family because you're worried about how they're going to react. Um, and you're also starting to think about the fact that like the career path that you always wanted was not going to be accessible to you. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. I was floundering. Like I, it was apparent in my field work, like in my master's program and I got a talking to, and then I was like, shoot, like, do I have to drop out of my master's program or take a leave? Like, how am I going to explain this to my parents? Um, but I really like, I, at that point, I just had to get through the day and like, I had to graduate and I, like, I, and, and that was a really, really, really hard semester. And I told myself, like, let me just get to the, like, and I was like, again, in trouble in school. So I was like, let me just get to graduation and then I'll deal with everything. Like, I cannot deal with any of this while I'm in school. Like, there's no way I'll be able to finish if I do. So let me tell that, let me graduate and then tell them. Okay. So does that go to plan? No. I had, so first it was, let me graduate and then tell them. And then it was like, okay, they're going to cut me off financially. They were helping me at the time. I had no income because I was a graduate student. I'm like, I don't want to tell them when I'm between a graduate program and a job, like, let me get that jobs. And I'll tell them because this way, if it goes horrible, then I will have like something that I need to show up to every day. And I will have um, income. Like, let me put a safety net in place first. So for then, it, so first it was once I graduate, then it was once I get a job. Um, so I was, I was really desperate to find a job, even though I didn't want a job in the Jewish community, but looking for a job in the Jewish community was the only place I knew how to look for a job because I never looked for a job before. Yeah. So I was like totally lost on jewishjobs.com. 
I found a job posting for a leadership development associate at Chabad House Bowery, which like was on the map for this being this like cool hip Chabad house. And I saw the job and I was like, this would have been perfect for me three years ago, like pre this knowledge that I have about myself, this is my dream job. Um, but with this knowledge and like with my intent to come out, this job makes no sense. Um, but I was really desperate to find a job. And I like told my parents about it and they're like, apply, apply, apply. Because over this like whole queer journey, I also like my religious journey, like obviously evolved. Um, some stuff they knew about, like some stuff was more outward and some stuff was more inward. But like at one point I had been wearing like long sleeves and long skirts. And at this point I was so far from that. Um, and like, they probably thought that me staying in Jewish communal work would be helpful for me. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you should take it. You should take it. You should take it. And it's like, okay, I'm desperate to get a job. Like, this is so not right for me. But even though I had like done my own due diligence on the shluchim there and like knew that they were cool. I'm like, I hope I don't get fired in a few months when I come out, but whatever, I'm just going to take this job. So I accepted this job. And I re-met the girl that I had gone on a date with at the pride parade that same, that summer. Mm-hmm. And I was like, totally a better version. Like I thrive in the summer in general. I'm a summer person. I love the water. I love the sun. Like the, I'm, the summer is my time. So like between that and like five months of like real, real suffering, I was at, it was my very first pride parade. I was with my best friends. Um, and I had, I guess I had, given her a better impression and she like asked me on a date after that day um so I at this point like had a girl had a job and it was about to be Rosh Hashanah and I was like I'm not telling them before the holidays that's like who wants to come out and then spend all the holidays like that's a horrible (laughs) idea for everyone as soon as Sukkot is over I'm gonna tell them Okay. So I actually told them after Sukkot. I told them on October 27th, 2014. I'll never forget it. Wow. Um, yeah. And what was their reaction? Um, a huge hug. Um, a really, really long conversation that night. Um, just explaining so many things like about my past and about like where I am and my process. Like I knew, I knew what their respective like concerns would be about. And I, and I kind of anticipated all the things that would come up and I was super prepared for it. Like I had an outline (laughs) prepared. Um, that was kind of more like a script of like everything that I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they were probably concerned about me Jewishly and they were concerned about like my future and what that would look like and my goals. And I reaffirmed to them that nothing is different about me except for the sex of the person who I want to be with. I still want a family. I still, I'm the same daughter that you raised your whole life. Um, doesn't change anything else about me. Um, I had come out to like the Chabad rabbi already, and I was already on a path of like spiritual healing. Like I was very spiritual. I was very, very angry with God um, for many yeah, months. Can we, can we take a minute to talk about the, the religious journey that you went on? Cause you made mention of it before, but I, yeah, I didn't want to interrupt. 
So I would say that it started with dissonance, like just like a, 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 a not conscious like separation because like it just didn't like in my head, like the two didn't add up. Like I was, you know, with a girl, but also wearing skirts and long sleeves. And it just felt like a weird look and it didn't make sense. So like I slowly, slowly was like evolving. And then like with time, I would say like after that first date with my now wife, with that girl, I was like, I was really angry. Like why me? Um, like, I love my family. Why do this to my family? Why do this to me? Like, I was like, I was like poster camper seminary person. Like, this was just not the life that I envisioned for myself. Like, why am I suffering like this? Like, I, this is so not what I wanted. Um, this was like, it, it had, I thought it was like messing with my professional aspirations. Like, I was just really angry with God for this happening specifically to me. So I stopped everything at a point and, um, how this, like where things led to is when I took this job at the Chabad house, I was living in, I had my apartment was in Washington Heights. My wife's was in Brooklyn. Um, so, but I had to be, I had to work on Shabbos. So I would cab back and forth. And my, the, the, it wasn't the Just to the clarify, this, this girl that you were dating, she's your wife now? She's my wife now, yeah. Okay. I knew, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. I knew she would be my wife the second I met her. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. She's awesome. And I saw it like instantly. I just needed to convince her. Um, <laughs> but we, hey, we'll when get the, there, this, yeah, <laughs> when this, when this rabbi hired me, like he didn't really know who I was, and what my background was. So he just assumed, like, he didn't know that I was for my whole life, not taking cabs on Shabbos. And then like, at some point it came up that this isn't really who I am and I'm taking cabs back and forth so I can work on Friday night and Shabbos. So he like scheduled a meeting between us. He's like, I want to learn more about you. Mm-hmm. So we had a meeting and he's like, so tell me about your relationship with Hashem. And I was like, okay, well, I was, my like heart was racing. And I was like, in order for this to not be like a total waste of both of our times, like I need to be honest with you, I'm gay. And he goes, you didn't answer my question. I asked about your relationship with Hashem. And that was like huge for me. That was that that was his response. Um, and I just started crying. I'm like, I'm really angry at him. I'm really, really, I'm really mad. Um, and that was that initial conversation. He that that initial conversation was like the first of many and like event like a huge point in my life and my journey and my relationship with him and and Hashem and all of that. Like there were so many. Um, he's like, when's the, he asked me when the last time I spoke to Hashem was. I'm like, oh, I haven't in years. Like I'm just mad. And he gave me a sitter and left the room for like 10 minutes. Like I'll be back in 10. And I just sobbed. Wow. Just like I had said Shema for the first time in a long time. And I just sobbed. And when he came back in the room, we were talking about all sorts of things and and some of the things that he shared with me, one is that like, he's like, Tina, Shem is obsessed with you. Like, do you know that? Like, he's obsessed with you. 
you have to know that first and foremost, like he made you who you are. This is who you are. Like, and he's obsessed with you and he wants to have a relationship with you. And I was like, okay, maybe he does, but like, like it's not possible for me to be a part of the community. And I, he taught me one of like the best lessons that I, that, and I talked to tons of people who are coming out and, and part of people's processes and something that I rely is like, you can't always judge Judaism by juice. Um, Judaism, which is like Hashem and Jews are very different. And like the most important thing in Judaism is my relationship with Hashem. And after that comes Jews. So like separating that for me at the time was huge. Um, and focusing like on my individual relationship with Hashem and, and rehabilitating that. And also like putting on hold for a moment, my relationship with the Jewish community. And like, if I could work there, if I couldn't, where I would live, who would accept me, where I would fit in. Like I was temporarily on hold and like, it was first about me and Hashem. Wow. And I was working at the, in this like Chabad community that totally accepted me and loved me. And I was a rock star there. So just by being there was like also a huge part of my healing with like Jewishness. Mm-hmm. So what did that look like practically? Um, it was really slow. Like I would say at first, well, when I told my, like this, we got here because I was talking about coming out to my parents. Like okay. one of the things I said when I came out to my parents, like, and Rabbi Korn knows, um, and he's been really helpful and like things with me and Hashem, like aren't great, but I'm working on it. Um, but in terms of what that looked like was like very slow and steady. Um, which is not always how I approach things in my life. Like I'm a kind of all in person or, or all out depends on what, but this was kind of like the slowest and steadiest thing I've ever done probably in retrospect. Um, and I can remember like specific marks where like, okay, I'm not going to take taxis anymore on Shabbos, or I'm not going to do I'm not going to eat X, Y, and Z, or I'm not going to, it just was really slow and, and came like within me, like when I was ready, but just like feeling more at peace with my relationship with Hashem. Um, that's really what it looked like. And, and, and uh, I then my wife and I, like we moved in together like a year after we started dating and she lives in Brooklyn. It's funny. And on, on your podcast, she spoke about how like Washington Heights is like a queer haven. I did not have that. I was probably more part of like the YU Washington Heights. So I didn't even know that existed. Um, so I did not feel like there was a future for me in Washington Heights, but like when I moved to Brooklyn and I was part of this like progressive Orthodox community there, like just things started becoming a little bit more clear. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, just by like, my parents' reaction, uh, like all so much, I would say like 90% of my Judaism came from my home. Like if you want, I'm there's like always dialogue around like, is it school? Is it parents? Is it both? Is it, yeah. you know, like for, because I wasn't a school person, like so much of it was my home and my family. And when I say my home, like my mom has three siblings and, and her parents, like we all live within um, five blocks of each other. And like, we're our own like community. Yeah. Um, and just being accepted by my family, like my nuclear family and my aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents um, was a huge deal in terms of my relationship with Judaism. Cause like every holiday was with my, with my larger family um, shop, like everything was 
Judaism and my fairy interwoven. So like a big part of that was like, okay, if my family accepts me, um, then it's possible to be Jewish. Mm-hmm. Okay. So bringing us back to this conversation with your parents. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. Um, yeah. So they embrace you and they accept you and then things slowly start to change in your relationship with Judaism. Yeah, they embraced me and they accepted me for sure. It was like, I initially thought that it would be like, they would be really angry and then they would come around. But actually like initially they like, it was first love and like, they just wanted me to know that right away and like really intensely. And then like after that, the anger settled, which was like, which is what, so like the net, I told them, and then I went back to my apartment that night and they texted me like, do you want to see a movie with us tomorrow? So confused. I'm like, I just told you the biggest news of my entire life. I just did the hardest thing of my entire life. And you're asking me if I want to see a movie with you. Mm-hmm. It made no sense to me. But now when I think about it, they just wanted to show me that like life was normal and everything was normal and nothing was unchanged. And like, even though I was exhausted and my whole world was upside down. Like I went back the next night to see a movie mm-hmm. um, because they needed to feel it and I needed to feel it. And, and it was so weird. We didn't tell anything. We just watched Gone Girl in the theater. <laughs> and then I went back to Washington Heights that night. But I really appreciate that they did that, you know? Um, and, but like I said, a few months later, um, like there was some like anger and confusion on their parts. Um, I had like gone to the Dominican Republic on like a vacation with my girlfriend, now wife. And I like posted a picture and I wasn't okay. I wasn't like out, out yet. I was out to my parents. Um, but I wasn't out to like my grandparents and so my grandparents are super cool and like have Instagram and they are also lay leaders in the community. Like, so my, my mom was very concerned that her parents would find out very concerned that like she, my mom re- was not ready at all to tell her parents um, and wasn't really ready for it to be like a topic of the community. Um, yeah. There's like a lot of gossip in, in the community that I grew up in. Like she just wasn't ready for that. So like, wasn't really ecstatic that I was, posting pictures of me and my girlfriend like in the Dominican Republic yeah and she like asked me to take them like my parents asked me to take the pictures down and I was like I did not come out of the closet to go back to be asked to go back into the closet like these pictures are staying up and we have work to do I don't care if like we need to see a therapist like they were originally seeing a therapist like refused to meet me which like didn't make so much sense to me um but I was like find a therapist that will meet the three of us and like let's let's get talking like let's start healing because I appreciate your love and I know it's there and like I'll never take for granted that that is like unquestionable but in terms of like the process in our life like we we have a lot of work to do yeah and it reminded they, me you reminded me of the phrase that like when a child comes out of the closet the parents go into the closet yeah um, so so and- my parents were never closeted Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, I remember like my mom saying, like, I can't go to the grocery store without someone being like overly friendly or avoiding <laughs> me. And like, she wasn't, a, she wasn't trying to go in the closet, but like, she knew she was, and I totally related to that feeling because I, like I said, I know I was spoken about, I'm used to people treating me a certain way because of what I was, you know, experiencing. And like, 
knowing that I was putting my mom through that and my dad was like really, really hard for me. And they were suffering tremendously. Yeah, sure. And I was in so much pain. I put on 50 pounds the year that I came out, like 50 pounds, just mm-hmm. because I was in so much pain from the pain that I was causing. So you guys go to family therapy. Um, yes. Are you comfortable the talking road- about that? Sure. Yeah. It's part of our story and, and what like it, it made the world of a difference in the most positive of ways. Um, I mean, from the time that we started, which was like March, 2015 till now, like every, the, I would say the mantra is like, like, or how we all operated was like trust between one another that we're all doing our best patience um, from both of us, like from both sides. And like, there was just over the years, like a lot of push and pull, um, like me saying, you're not going fast enough. Them saying like, we're going as fast as we can. Um, and my parents are very, very genuine people, very genuine people. And they don't do anything like fakely. I think I, I get, I definitely get that from them. I'm a horrible faker. Like I said, I'm an all in kind of person and they, their whole thing was like when we're ready for it we'll be ready for it and you'll know it like we're not going to do anything that we're not ready for and when we're ready for it you can trust that our our hearts and minds are in it so everything was a process like it was a year before they could say Seema's name out loud that's my wife um I remember like the first time they said her name like I, I was with them and I text her I'm like they said your name they said your name wow. and then a few months later like came meeting her um and first we went out to dinner just me seeing my mom then me seeing my dad and the three of them the four of us um and then it was like when can Sima come for Shabbos and then what it was when can Sima come to Israel for the Chagim with us and when can Sima and I start when can my Bobby and Zaidi now like my grandparents because the way my family opt like nothing can happen without Bobby and Zaidi knowing mm-hmm. it's just like they're my, they were, they like are like the focal point of our universe. So I was like, you have to tell Bobby and Zaidi so that we can, so that she can come to family things. Um, so like, when are you telling Bobby and Zaidi? When could we get engaged? Like, so all those things like was all under the like auspices of like family therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was transformative for all of us. Like my, me and my parents can both attribute like we have an extremely close and genuine and loving relationship now and like though our wedding was out of this world and they're amazing grandparents to our son and all of that and it's like so much of it is attributed it is attributed to, to our therapy process but like what we it, everything was just like all in the right time and just the trust in each other that we were doing the work and it definitely definitely came with a lot of like frustration and and it wasn't easy at points but that trust was always there that is so crucial and i think that that is such a special thing that that you had and i'm i'm really happy to hear it thank you me too very lucky so take us from 2015 to march 2021 sure um, so like Seema slowly integrated into my family, a, a big part of it, like I said, was, you know, my Bobby anxiety finding out, um, 
How did they take I, it? They were amazing. Like they are like the leaders of our family and they were only like so upset that they didn't know earlier that they couldn't like be involved earlier. Um, my parents told them like the night before I went to go see them, like they, it was really, uh, okay. My Zaidi died a year ago. This is your site last week. So reflecting on this is uh, a special opportunity for me, but he, my Zaidi was like super, um, politically progressive and liberal mm -hmm. and also black hat and like very into like Hasidus and Minhagim and just like very, very firm. And like, he was so unique in that way, but it was always unclear. Like, is it going to be liberals ID and like progressives ID or like black hat, like rabbinics ID that like that leads this, that like re reacts to this coming out. Um, and he was incredible and like was like set the tone for like my whole family. And once they knew it shifted everything, the night that I went over there the following night, they were standing at the door with like a bouquet of flowers. And my Zaidi said, um, if anybody asks you who these are from, tell them your Zaidi got you, your Bobby and Zaidi got you coming out flowers. Oh um, my God, that is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Gave me chills. Um, it was wild. And wow. that was like, that changed so much. Like there were just like, there are big, there are giant steps that like stand out, you know, along the way that like moved the needle in a really big way. So that was one of them. Cause that meant that, you know, Seema could now like be part of the larger family. Like I very much exist as part of a larger family unit. Um, I really wanted to get engaged. We were ready to get engaged, um, you know, but we were waiting. We wanted our parents to be there like fully the simcha. So that took a little bit of time. We got engaged in December, 2016. Uh, we had an engagement party. Our parents were there. Our friends were there. It was so, wow. it was like, it was really special. And then was the wedding planning part of the process, which was like, I am an event planner. So the wedding, like the party itself was not a challenge in the slightest bit, mm -hmm. but, um, figuring out like the ceremony was, was like very anxiety inducing and like right. the largest part of the process. Like I would say to my dad, like, dad, I need your help planning this wedding. Like you plan my siblings weddings, like soup to nuts. Like I feel all alone in this. And he's like, you plan fundraisers like at Chabad House Barry, I planned the gala for like three years. He's like, why is it like, this is a party for like the, that's like the fraction of the size. Like, why are you psyching yourself out? So like the party stuff was super easy, mm -hmm. but the, um, the ceremony was super not easy and big and, and putting that together was a really big process. And like, in the end it was beautiful Talk me through and that. what was not easy about it my that at that point like Hashem was such a big part of my life um, my everyday life um and I feel so Jewish and so connected Jewishly and to have like one like the biggest day of my life to that point like not involve Hashem in Judaism was very confusing for me but I also didn't want to do anything that like didn't exist like I didn't want to make 
I, everyone has different experiences the way I experienced it was like I didn't want to make something up I didn't want to mm-hmm. pretend that we were doing something that wasn't so just understanding like what a wedding ceremony would look like was it a Jewish ceremony was it a not Jewish ceremony are we Jewishly married are we not Jewishly married like that stuff was crazy hard and my parents would be like what's going on with the ceremony like what are you thinking like they gave us a lot of space to like figure it out and I was like I don't know. Like as soon as I have answers, I'll give them to you. Like, and it, it really all came together, like probably three weeks before our wedding and we were engaged for several months. So how did you, what guided you through that process? Um, religious mentors, um, therapy, like our own processes, like our own desires, like how we, like what we wanted, Um, A lot of it was like out of sensitivity to our parents um, and just, I don't know if that, uh, yes. And uh, again, like Sima wanted a chuppah and I was like, why do we need a chuppah? Like we're not getting married under a chuppah. Like that's so fake. Um, So like if I, we, I, we talk about it now. Like if I were to get, if we were to get married now, like I would feel so differently and like that dissonance like is, has really dissipated. I, I don't feel like the two, my two identities are in conflict with each other, but just like in the wedding planning process, like these two identities were like very much at odds and I couldn't figure out how to integrate them until I did. Okay. Well, it sounds like you're in a different place now. How did you get there? Time. Okay. <laughs> Uh, therapy, like a different place in terms of what, like my family, my relationship, like my Judaism, my like really like my own life. Like, can you specify? I am in yeah, a different yeah, place yeah. across the board. Absolutely. It's just hard to um, I, I think what I was referring to specifically was that conflict that you were describing. Mm. Um, sort of like okay. the dissonance between. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So I think the reason why like just so much of the Torah that I ascribe to um I, I don't feel like is in conflict with the way that I'm living my life like my my dad and I went out to breakfast the Friday before my wedding and we we were just like going through everything and we were talking and he's like do you know I'm actually I, I don't want to he's like I'm fairly confident that like the three Rebbe's would like be really proud of what's taking place on Sunday, which was like his Rebbe's are Rev Cook, the Lubavitcher Rebbe and Rebbe Nachman. Like that's, those are the three, those are his three Torahs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all one Torah, but I don't feel like anything that I'm doing is in conflict with that. Like, I think that I'm living my, my purpose, which is using everything that Hashem gave me to make a positive impact on the world whether that's like my professional abilities or the, the way in which I, you know, hold people's hands who are, who are in the coming out process or whatever it is that I can contribute, I'm contributing. And I, I'm building a Jewish family. I have a child. Um, I like, that's just, I, I feel like I felt like I was living in, in conflict, but I, I know that I'm living in harmony. I texted my dad last night um, if like, uh, if me or my wife need to like attend a CM for Ari, my son for like Tadis, the Horos before Pesach, 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, you ask the most interesting questions. Like, but if, if you asked me that like five years ago, I couldn't have cared less, but I, I really care. I want Ari to have like a full Jewish experience and to not be like excluded from anything because his moms are gay. Um, and we're creating a Jewish home that's built for that. We live in a Jewish community that's set up for that, where we are just the same as everyone else. Um, and we like just being, I think like I wasn't able to see myself um, in five years from now, five years ago. Um, like I obviously like there, we're not going to end up in the five towns where I'm from. We're not going to end up in Teaneck where she's from. So I was like, what does our Jewish life look like? And if I can't figure out what it looks like, I should just say goodbye to it because it doesn't exist. But I've learned over time and also with time, it's like we've like communities have evolved and it does exist. Like I'm part of the Prospect Heights Shul in Brooklyn, um, a place for us very much exists and it's exciting to be a part of. And I'm, I, I'm so happy that I'm engaged Jewishly. It's like the most important thing in my life to me, which I feel really grateful that I've been able to get to this place after really, really struggling with it for so long. Wow, that's incredible. Um, I'm just kind of like blown away right now, genuinely. Like that is, <laughs> um, I think it is so incredible that you, first of all, fought for a place in Judaism and that you found one. Both, I think both things are a little bit miraculous in their own way. Thank you. Um, fighting is, I definitely have fought. Um, and it's tiring and it makes me sad sometimes. So I'm always balancing, like, am I fighting for myself? Am I fighting for the community? Like, what am I hoping to accomplish? Like, I remember with like my, my, I had a very, very close relationship with my Zaidi and we would have so many conversations about how I use my voice in this conversation. And he was so invested in and he loved me and my wife and like only like was always asking when we were having a child. Um, but around the YU stuff last year, I was very, very vocal. And he would ask me like, why do I have to, like, why do I have to be so vocal? Like, why, why is it getting me so upset? And just to like, and I, and I would explain to him that like a community that I was a part of for so long that like out is outright rejecting me is really painful. Yeah. And I, and it, and I, I want to fight for that. Like not like for, for the future me. And I was really burnt out and it, it took so much out of me to, to put my head into the ring. So I like it ebbs and flows. Like sometimes I just want to live my life and sometimes I'm like, put me in the ring. Yeah. I think that this is something that a lot of people in who are living in the nexus of the from and queer worlds experience um, where it's like, on the one hand, I don't really want to be an activist. Like I just want to live a normal life. But on the other hand, I have all these voices that are saying, whenever I do speak up, like, why do you have to be so outspoken? Like, why do you have to always talk about something? It's almost like neither side is ever really going to yeah, I think from like my relationship, like with my Zaidi, like he wasn't embarrassed. He was so proud of me, but he saw me suffering right. and he thought that like me fighting was causing more suffering. And he's like, 
And he was like, you have everything that you want. Like your family loves you. Your family accepts you. You're part of a community. Like, why do you have to put yourself through this pain? That was like more of the conversation. Uh Um, It's like, you got everything you wanted. And I was like, I have so much of what I wanted, but like the fact that like a community that I called home for so long doesn't want me is painful. And I'm going to fight for that. Yeah. Speaking of fighting for things. um, What would you tell um, a young Dina if you could go back in time and give her a message? Like the Dina who first met a girl? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I, if the young Dina, like five, like six-year-old Dina, like, I think I always felt that I was different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know what that meant, but I had, but I did feel it and I was afraid of it. And I would tell myself it's okay to be different, um, and embrace it. And like, there'll be hard days, but it's worth the fight and like you'll your life will be beautiful but you know don't don't run away from it and what I would tell like the Dina who first met a girl and 11 years ago I was just out to dinner with friends and I was like I've been a lesbian for 10 years how crazy is that (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would tell her like it's going to be okay it's possible to lit, to have a family, to be part of your family, to have your own family, to live Jewishly. Like, I just was like mourning all these things preemptively thinking that they were impossible. And I would want myself to know that I can, that I can be okay and have all these things. And it will take a lot of work, but I feel like everything that I've been through has given me so much in my life. Like I, I was, um, I have, so I have two siblings that live in Israel and my parents are there now and my grandparents are there now and they haven't met Ari yet. He was born in August and we were supposed, we had flights for Pesach, which aren't happening. Yeah. And it was really hard. I mean, and it really sucks. And my dad was like, Gina, I just want you to know, like, I'm so impressed with like how centered you are and like how okay you are about not coming. I know how disappointed you are. And I was like, dad, with everything I've been through in my life, like not coming for pace, not coming to Israel for pace doesn't crack the top 10. So like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm okay. I've been a lot less okay in life. So I'm grateful that I have perspective. I'm resilient. Like I, my life hasn't always been easy, but everything that I've been through has made me who I am. And I'm really proud of who I am. Sounds like you have a lot to be proud of. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Um, no, not that I can think of. In that case, Dina, thank you so much. Thank you so much. That concludes today's episode. We want to thank Dina again for being so generous with her time and for sharing her story with us. If you have a story that you'd like to share, or if there are topics that you'd like to see covered, please reach out to us by visiting queeryid.com.